0: Patrick and Cyprian speak with Renée Schulte of Valorum Reply. The team discuss a quantum computing approach to problem solving, and how benefits can be found even without quantum hardware running behind the scenes. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian.
1: Hey Cyprian, uh, hey Renee, how are you guys doing?
2: Well, good, Patrick, uh, and very, very happy to have today with us uh, our uh, uh, special guest for this show.
1: Yes, we're we're privileged to have Renee Schulte, um, who has his own podcast, and we should definitely talk about that to get a start. Though that's not our main topic today, Renee, please tell us about your podcast. Hey, uh, thanks for
3: having me at the Entangled Things. So maybe I'm getting entangled today as well and then we will <laughs> be forever connected. How is that? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so my name is Renee. I'm uh, Director of Global Innovation at Valorum Reply. Um basically work on emerging technology research and innovation which includes things like spatial computing, uh, you know, augmented virtual mixed reality, all of the fancy stuff, but also quantum computing. And and part of that is um a show I'm also doing called Cubites, which is a like let's say a little video series where I invite expert guests to talk about certain topics related to quantum computing, um, but with a strong focus in general on the impact we can already achieve today, right? Mm-hmm. With things like quantum-inspired computing and a couple of other things. And so typically I invite a guest and then we talk for It's a little bit shorter than this one here. It's like five to 10 minutes. Well, I always say five to 10 minutes, but in the end, it's typically more than 10 minutes. (laughs) It's typically end up (laughs) like 10 to 15 minutes. That's typical length of an episode. And it's a video podcast in the end, right? We just have a conversation. And during these times, it's of course all on, uh, you know, recorded with some kind of virtual meeting tool. And then we talk about certain uh, topics like, I don't know, like quantum machine learning or something like that. And for this, I typically invite a real true expert in that field. And then we, we chat away and, um, have some fun.
1: Excellent. That it's, yeah, it's definitely a great format and we need more. We need as much as we can. So how do you view the community right now? Is, is uh, there doesn't seem to be enough resources yet to, um, for people to go to, to learn this stuff. Are you finding that you're getting a lot of that kind of feedback or, or am I just missing something?
3: Yeah. Um, that's a very good question. And, if we're, if we're looking at the community and the, the growth in the quantum computing, I think there's this, uh, like multiple facets and actually multiple roles that we need to look into, right? So for, for once, you have, for example, the classical physics, PhD, quantum physics expert, mm-hmm. right, that, of course, come typically from a research and scientific field. And they have, of course, their own community for a long, long time because they're building all the groundwork. And now it's entering more in this area where we also have, like, you know, classical software engineers or developers in the end that want to get into uh, quantum computing. And um, Microsoft, for example, is providing some good learning content here. Uh, definitely, if you um, check out Azure That's Quantum true. Learning, for example. Um, so in one episode of Cubites, I talked with uh, Dr. Kitty Yang, and she is doing all the, the content creation and even created this really nice portal that you definitely should check out. It's Azure Quantum Learning. And uh, there you can actually, they have a li- nice little visualization, which I really love. It's basically you see um, a qubit, like with the Bloch sphere, right? And then mm-hmm. And then you can select multiple topics that you're interested in, right? So for example, I want to <laughs> get started developing for quantum computing. Or then you could uh, select another tag or button I want to uh, just learn about quantum computing or I'm a researcher and, and so on. So you can basically customize your learning experience and then the awesome part is in the visualization of the, the qubit with the block sphere that will basically change the state, you know, the vector inside of it will point at different um, different states basically on the sphere surface and uh, then you get a customized learning experience. So this is definitely good stuff for, for different roles if you want to get into it. Um, but still, it's very much in the beginning, I would say. Um, there's still a lot of things that that uh, need to be provided although uh, you know microsoft is doing a good job you're definitely getting the, the development workforce of today also into a uh, quantum and the qdk and QShop and all of the fun stuff there um also you have you know i attended a few conferences for example with uh, the quantum business europe conference and so on but you have a more of a focus on the business side of things and uh Especially if we're looking into the financial sector, there's a huge interest in that in that space. And in fact, I heard uh, a talk from a gentleman—I forgot which bank it was, but some U.S. bank—and uh, he said in his talk basically, if if financial institutions are not getting on the quantum computing train wagon these days, they will be bankrupt by twenty thirty. <laughs> Something like that. That's what he said. Like really. Um, cuz you know there's so much potential for optimization and all of that that will that is these huge com- you know complex multidimensional problems that you also have in in financial institutes that are just have to be solved somehow and so you know certain companies really need to get behind it and um, i'm already seeing that basically that you know companies are ramping up for folks um yeah another interesting one is maybe um uh, when I talked with um a lady in the last couple of episodes of Cubites, um, she's offering this kind of well training course, or let's say um not really a training, but more more of a kind of an learning path or upskilling. Although the word upskilling is not that great, but you know the kind of like how can you become like quantum computing experts and so on. And uh, she has this uh, really nice offering, or like website or service. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, this was with Dr. Araceli Venegas Gomez in uh, Cubites episode um, season two, episode nine, which is about to come out. So it's not it's not out yet. Cool. Uh,
1: Yeah, you get you got multiple seasons. You're way ahead of us. You've lapped us.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I was, I was uh, uh, interested, uh, Renee, in uh, uh, how do you see, like, if si- since you do this uh, 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 clearly longer than uh, we do the show at Entangle Things over here, how do you see the evolution of the uh, community interest in, in quantum uh, uh, computing, like over, let's say, the past, I don't know, 12, uh, uh, 18 months? Uh, do you see an increase in interest? Is it flattening? Uh, I, I will to ask if it's going down because it's probably not but I'm really curious to see uh, what is your uh what is your view on on how does the 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 com- and when i say community i'm not only referring to the to the phd uh, uh quantum physics uh, uh demographic right i'm also referring to the enthusiasts to folks who are interested maybe decision makers uh and and so forth yeah. how do you see the evolution like in in the past year or so
3: yeah there's definitely growth um it's it's hard to judge cuz you know we're all living um still in this like virtual conference world right where you cannot really like attend a real conference, but uh, you know, just by judging at the, the different conferences that are also scheduled for this year, uh, like virtual conference, of course, there's definitely growth. I would definitely say there's growth, especially also not just on the pure academic side, but definitely also uh, for these folks, like you just said, like decision makers, you know, business um, related things. And uh, there's a lot of uh, traction, I think there and uh, there's quite some growth happening. Um, you know also, when we talk with clients, there's definitely more interest in in these fields because they already see there's a certain progress happening, and you know real practical applications are already out there um especially when we look not so much onto the the quantum hardware landscape you know where it's still very much in its infancy with you know big enough uh, quantum computers that have enough qubits and so on uh but rather even more so on the um Software stack side of things, right? If we're looking into quantum computing, we actually can say, okay, there's like two things. Actually, you know, you have the hardware with the quantum computers, and the second one is the software stack. And there, especially there, we see a lot of uptake with uh, quantum-inspired computing, right? Applying these quantum mechanical uh, principles of in software development, basically.
1: Yeah, I, well, I've done some talks at code camps, and and I definitely see. It's increasing in in its popularity as pe- more people get curious. More people see that it's it's really going to be something that influences the future quite a bit. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I think
3: I think there was a lot of like uh, holding the breath for some people. You know, I was in the camp myself maybe if like you know three or four years ago, or something like that. You know, when there was like you know the buzz was was coming a little bit but it wasn't there yet but it was definitely something where i was thinking ah you know it's not a, like large buzzword game here um will still be like i don't know 50 years in the future or something like that um but you know seeing the impact that can already be achieved today like this is real
1: and this is real business that can be uh, generated with it well let's talk about that that's actually the business that you guys are in can can you kind of explain the baseline of what 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 that means and how you're pushing that frontier. Absolutely. So maybe I go back a little bit and um, just bit. Like I mentioned,
3: I work for Valorum Reply and Valorum Reply is part of the Reply group. It's a large, like let's say, um, networking model. So you have multiple companies as part of the Reply group. And in total, it's around over 9,000 employees. And I think it's uh, it's split up into 100 20 or 50 or something companies. So don't count me on the exact numbers, but something like that. And so why I'm telling you that is because like the headquarters is actually in Turin. I'm based in Germany. Um, Valorum is in the US, so it's a full global company. And we have different teams all over the place, basically, working on quantum computing topics. But what we also have is a a kind of um, a group with like-minded people. We call that internally community of practices. And we have one, for example, for quantum computing, where you have all these different you know, uh, company members joining, but they all work on quantum computing. And with this, we have achieved quite some interesting uh, projects there, especially when we are looking into quantum-inspired optimization, which I already mentioned initially. And uh, So maybe we, we break that a little bit down and explain for a moment about, uh, it's particular about quantum optimization, if that makes sense. Or did you already cover quantum inspired optimization before so we can skip that or should I explain it
1: uh, we've we've talked about it a little bit quantum supremacy but it wouldn't be a bad thing to just spend a minute on it
2: and and we're we're always interested to see uh, other, other views of, of of the same topic right than uh, mine or or Patrick's so right. yeah I would definitely want to to kind of uh, uh, dive a little bit also into, uh, let's say, your definition of of quantum inspired optimization, Renee, for sure.
3: So what we are focusing mainly is three key areas for quantum computing where we see the impact. And, and like I was saying, like we're not focusing so much on the hardware stack. Of course, we will use different hardware vendors and different quantum computers um, if they are available. Especially we have things like quantum as a service, right, where you can just Basically, rent computing time on those. Um, but a strong focus for us is actually applying quantum-inspired algorithms on classical hardware. For example, like GPU arrays or you know FPGAs and and these kind of high-performance computing uh, clusters, right, where you can at least run quantum-inspired algorithms. And so three key areas we're focusing is quantum machine learning, quantum security, and quantum optimization. And especially quantum optimization is where we're seeing a lot of impact already with um, solvers and algorithms we're implementing, like Cubo, uh, which is a quadratic, unconstrained binary optimization, which is an algorithm that basically allows you to formulate a certain combinational optimization problem so that it can be solved by the means of quantum computers. And what you, what you basically, what we do in a typical approach is we select certain scenarios with our clients that have a high computational uh, performance, right? Something that is really interesting to tackle. Think about, for example, traveling salesman problem or other really complex multidimensional optimization problems, right? Um, or to make it more generic, you, has to, you have this objective function that you want to optimize. And in the end, if you if you visualize it, um, you would see this kind of energy landscape, right? And what you want to find is you want to find the valley, right? Where you put the least amount of energy into your system, but get the highest output. That's a classical definition of your optimization problem. And unfortunately, in our world, we typically don't deal with linear optimization, but we rather have more exponential optimization problems, right? That just grow in complexity. Uh, exponentially and that's of course very hard to solve if we're working with classical computers but with quantum computers well that's just perfectly suited for it right and um, but again we don't need these uh, hardware from certain quantum computers but we can even run it on current hardware like gpu FPGA arrays and and clusters and so on And I could give you some examples maybe for a certain optimization problems that are well suited. And then we could also talk maybe about some some case studies and some actually numbers that we're already seeing uh, being achieved. So, so just, just to be clear on this, Renee, I think
2: that would be important for our, for our uh, listeners. In, in these uh, very interesting class of, of, of problems of uh, quantum-inspired optimization, you actually, even as of today, you do not need a working uh, per se physical quantum computer to achieve improvements. You can basically borrow some of the ideas and implement them on classical computing resources, and still get uh, improvements uh, in 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 those uh, algorithms and in those
3: implementations. Is that right? That's exactly how it is. Um, that's and the key thing here is I'm, I mean, if we think about our nature, right? I mean, like our universe is running on quantum mechanical systems, right? It's it's a quantum right. mechanical system in the end, right? This is how how our world works in the end. If we're going down to the the smallest uh, uh, you know size if you will and the interesting thing is that you know applying quantum algorithms although they run on classical hardware but use these principles of quantum mechanics you can solve certain things faster because it's more closer to the nature i guess you know so that's the uh, that's the interesting thing and uh, really from also from a philosophical standpoint actually quite interesting um, before we dive into a little bit more for the quantum inspired optimization and another interesting um, discussion I had with, with one of the guests in the qubits show with Johannes Oberreuter, he is an expert in quantum machine learning, and he told me, for example, they did some experiments with some machine learning algorithms, I think it was some, uh, what was it, clustering or something like that, and uh, they run these experiments and with with their quantum uh, implementation like uh, you know providing these quantum machine learning as a as a quantum algorithm instead of you know classical machine learning they achieved higher accuracy and better speed which is really interesting that they in fact achieved also higher accuracy
1: you know. Now that's and that's on a simulated quantum computer as opposed to a real one.
3: Exactly right, but it's applying these principles of quantum mechanics, and uh, that's that's really uh, interesting. Actually, if you think
1: about it, that you're not just getting it faster, you're getting also the better accuracy. And when you when you apply that to an actual quantum computer in some time in the future, you'll get even a bigger uptake. You'll that, get a, even a better response.
3: That is exactly the thing here, right? So we can we can now. You the, the, the define these problems with quantum computing in mind and you know design these algorithms, which of course work differently, um, with quantum-inspired computing. Run those in classical hardware, GPU array, whatever it is. And then in the future, you already have your algorithm in, a, in a, such a form that you can directly deploy it on a quantum computer and then it will just fly. And right. that's, the, that's the really nice part about it. It's something that will not be a throwaway solution in the end, but uh, will be actually even better when hardware catches up which is actually interesting that you know software might be a little bit
1: uh, ahead of it. I don't know, but yeah, that's a first, isn't it? It's usually software is always catching up with hardware.
3: Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. So if we if we think about some of the uh, the classes and optimization problems for quantum inspired optimization, um, some examples are, for example, public transport scheduling, right? Um, for example, there's a train station. You need to optimize, you know, that the trains are on time, that they come at a certain, uh, you know, kind of a station, and uh, you know they are loaded at a certain degree, it's not too many people, not too less people. All of that stuff, super complex, right? Workforce management, fleet management, all of all of these kind of things. Or if we're looking into financial investment optimization, think about portfolio management, asset pricing, risk analysis, and of course, also very strong in the pharmaceutical uh, space and, you know, fertilizers and so on. I mean, all of chemical processing in the end, if we're looking at, you know, uh, going beyond the atom or maybe at the atom level, um, we're already seeing these quantum mechanical effects. So of course, if you're dealing with something wh- has related to chemistry, you actually in the end have to deal with quantum right. mechanics, right? So it's just perfectly suited to finding new drugs, you know, fertilizers, whatever. Um, you know, you know probably have seen all these these folding um, problems and so on that can be solved. But there's a ton of stuff um that is possible here. And one one really interesting example, I think, is uh with a client of us um that is one of the largest energy grid providers. So they maintain these large energy grids, um the biggest one in Europe, I think. And they have a huge field service workforce, right? And so mm-hmm. they they sent those folks out to I don't know like let's say repair a certain transformation station or whatever right as you can imagine large energy grid there's always things to do, and so they have a large field workforce and uh, what they are struggling with of course so, well not struggling but the optimization problem there is um, to optimize the plan for assigning maintenance work to teams right and mm-hmm. so basically you want to optimize the that the field service workers spend very little time on the road, but more time, you know, working and so optimizing that. And that's, of course, when you when you hear that, that's the classical traveling salesman problem in the end, of course, a little bit more complex because there are multiple um, other attributes that are on top of that. But the interesting part is we applied our Cubo uh, algorithm, which we call Mega Cubo. So this is an in-house developed um, optimization solver that is uh, working, again, of course, on quantum uh, principles. Um, well, it's cubo, it's right? And with this algorithm, they can, in a few minutes, uh, the, the algorithm can optimize a schedule that maximizes the amount time spent working while minimizing the time spent so, on the road. And with what, this, they get 20% reduction of travel time for 20,000 field.
1: field workers. So I got, I've got a question for you. For this example or any of the examples you've given, how many logical qubits does a system have to have before you can run it on a physical quantum computer. In other words, right now we're probably around 50 uh qubits uh on on IBM and some of the other quantum computers. Not not talking about annealers. Um when we get do we need to get to a 1000 logical qubits for these algorithms to be able to run on quantum hardware or are you just talking about hundreds or is it millions? Well, it's it's probably a few thousand. Um it's hard
3: to uh, to uh, get a number behind it. Um but definitely it's a uh... It's something that will probably take a little bit. I mean, it also depends on the... uh, In the end, it also depends, of course, on the the current route you're trying to optimize, right? How many stops and so on and and whatnot. Um, But of course, the more complex a problem gets, the more qubits will help. But definitely, like I said, to to be clear, right? This is implemented as quantum-inspired optimization. So this actually runs on a GPU array. And even on that GPU cluster, this quantum inspired optimization algorithm it gives them a speed up in, in computational speed Understood. 18 18 times uh, yeah, speed- i definitely
1: understand that i just i think that i'm trying to set the expectations for people who mm-hmm. are like thinking about when they it, they can apply quantum these kinds of speed ups are fantastic but the kind the speed ups you're going to get when you can run it on actual quantum hardware i assume will be maybe another 100 times faster or or do you have that projected
3: yeah we, I have not that projected, but this is something you could expect i mean this is this is really um a novel this off. is the tip
1: of the iceberg
3: it, yeah, really, and the nice thing is we can already achieve that impact right and then like once we get i don't know who will be, win the game in the end is it like
1: Google is it IBM? is it Microsoft you know oh, it'll probably be, It'll probably be a, a, a cast of characters Since since none of them is going to come out with the perfect system on the first day right. uh, there's still plenty of room on the on the battlefield. Um, and I, sorry, I always use it military analogies, but the other, the other thing that I wanted to um, explore with you is, so you're building these algorithms, you're getting these benefits from them. I would assume that once you're not going to run out of problems, but once you have a problem that you've gotten an 18 times increase in performance for, you may start looking at how to do it with fewer qubits. One of the things that we've seen with Shor's algorithm is teams have started to look at how few, it's almost like name that tune, where they try to get as few qubits as possible necessary to still solve the problem. And so do you think that you guys will revisit these algorithms with an eye towards optimization to be able to work on, on smaller quantum computers? Or will you be satisfied to wait until the, the hardware catches up?
3: Yeah, no, actually, we're, we're constantly uh, evaluating with whatever we have available. So we worked with D-Wave, for example, and tried out the quantum annealing approach. So, you know, basically adapted it so that it works on oh, their cool. machines. Um, I cannot give you any numbers regarding to that. There's a bunch of NDAs involved and so of on. Of course, but-,
1: but, but they have many more qubits than a general classic, uh, yeah. a classical, a well, not a class. I can't use that word, than a general quantum computer would. Um, like I said, we're probably in the 50 range for, for Qubits, for IBM, and some of the other vendors, but we're in the thousands for uh, D-Wave.
0: Thank you for listening to Entangled Things. This week's episode is sponsored by Pulsar Security. Introducing Sonar, Wi-Fi security as a service. With Wi-Fi being available in most corporate networks, it is imperative companies know what devices are broadcasting within range or authenticating to the corporate network with Sonar, you'll receive alerts, monthly reports, and access to our team to uncover and help fix your Wi-Fi security weaknesses. Sonar, protect your data. Visit sonar.pulsarsecurity.com slash entangled to learn more.
3: Yeah, in fact, I, I looked it up recently, and I think DWF is 5,640 qubits, and the highest I saw for... The gate. Well, as we know, right, D-Wave uses this quantum annealing approach, which is very specific to just solving problems. And then you have more of these generic quantum computers, which using like a gate model, for example. And uh, that is Google, IBM, Intel, Rigetti. And uh, the highest I saw from Google was they uh, said uh, 72 qubits is what their latest machine has. Maybe last week they had a new one, but I think I looked it up a month ago. But something like that. And you're totally right. Like, I mean, if you think about it, D-Wave with quantum annealing, uh, but in the end, you can't really compare it because this is just for certain specific problems, and uh, with the, uh, the more generic quantum computers, it's, uh, it's a little bit broader, right? But yeah, I mean, we're, we're all working with um, with all of them, and especially with um, you know leveraging also quantum as a service solutions like you know Azure Quantum from Microsoft, for example, where you can actually rent computing time on on certain partner hardware like IonQ, Honeywell, and uh, Toshiba, and a few others. Where you know Microsoft has a partnership with, where you can actually leverage those.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's 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 important to kind of highlight for that part of our audience who is not very familiar with, familiarized with all these terms. That the Kubo algorithm that that you mentioned, Renee, the, the quadratic unconstrained binary optimization is. Basically one of the central problems in what we call quantum annealing we have discussed with with Patrick in some of our past episodes the the distinction between the more restrained problem that quantum annealing solves which is basically optimization problems versus the so-called universal quantum computing which the gate-based uh, uh, approach attempts to to solve and actually the good news here and the Uh, uh, the reason why we see a lot of interest in in quantum-inspired optimization is that, as you already mentioned, the number of stable qubits uh, in the world of of quantum annealing or adiabatic quantum computing, how it's called in in the scientific world, is significantly higher than the number of stable qubits in the world of of universal uh, quantum computing. And I would I would dare to 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 bet that uh we will see much much sooner uh kind of commercial uh quantum annealing computers uh available uh on a on a wide range uh and it will yes. take some time until we get the universal quantum computers uh uh available kind of like at a similar Agreed. similar level. Definitely agree.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for sure, that's that's a, a definitely what we're seeing. And, and thanks for um you know breaking that down a little bit. That, that totally makes sense to um, um recap that. The um, also the interesting part is like uh you know what kind of problems can you apply for quantum annealing and so on. And so a lot of those are of course optimization problems, right? With tunneling and so on, um where you can try to reach certain optimized states. The uh, Another one where we work with um, a large telco provider is also pretty interesting where we applied the Kubo um, algorithm is for optimizing bandwidth and frequency range usage for 5G mobile networks. So think about the um, uh, cell towers, right? You have all over the place and you want to optimize the amount of users that can connect to your tower. But of course, you have just a limited amount of uh, people you can solve at the same time. And so, you know, pretty interesting optimization problem, and that needs to be solved uh, in real time or near real time. And that is definitely something where also Kubo showed quite some good results here for optimizing these kind of, uh, you know, use cases. Uh, another really interesting one, maybe the last one I want to point out here is uh, colleagues of mine, um, machine learning reply colleagues. Um, Team of uh, Giovanni Fazzi and friends. They did a project with the Airbus Quantum Computing Challenge. So Airbus, the uh, well, we all probably know Airbus, right? The, the big plane. Um, what do you say? Manufacturer. Co- plane manufacturer, right? That's what you yes. can call it, right? Airbus. Airbus, exactly. So Airbus had this quantum computing challenge, and I don't know if they will do a second round of it. But Airbus had the quantum computing challenge in uh, 2020 and uh my colleagues from machine learning reply they won this quantum computing challenge uh interestingly and uh they had like 800 registered applicants and they've won it you know with uh, a solution that is meant also quantum inspired optimization that is meant for airplane load optimization right so basically, how can I optimal load an airplane and as you can imagine, it's a super complex challenge right you have these Kind of weight distribution you know you have all the the flight physics constraints uh, fuel optimization you want to pack as much as you can inside of it but all of these other constraints it's a really really hard problem to solve and of course the same thing applies to ships and trucks but of course planes are even crazier right they can fly and so they have the full full dimension basically and uh, can also drop down quickly, <laughs> And so this right. is a this is a, a tough challenge. And so they they implemented an algorithm there for the I was quantum computing challenge that um, solved that and uh, won some some good times. It's unfortunately there is a paper, uh, but unfortunately there is not so much in terms of uh, of code available or things like that, because of course you know there's some. Proprietary, proprietary, and business stuff ongoing here, but uh, you know, there's a paper actually published on SpringerLink, which you can uh, get some more information. Cool, but man, uh, you know, optimizing airplanes uh, is—I mean, it doesn't get
1: any harder than that. I was just saying. I mean, what's the next hardest thing? I don't know. Well, actually, uh, the Kessel run in in Star Wars. You know,
2: (laughs) 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 well, the, the the next big thing is optimizing space, spacex rocket loads right so <laughs>
1: there we well, go i actually i think that the, that's next and after that it's it's navigating the asteroid field we have multiple gravitational effects nice w-
2: yeah so I was I was also uh, uh, wondering, Rene, and when, wanted to uh, to to ask you this 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 question. Um, how do we, do you see this this uh, race between the, the 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 big the big players? Obviously, as we said, there is a, a significant distinction between uh, the the quantum annealing world, which is clearly led by D Wave, right? They are the name. In the world of of, of quantum annealing, uh, and the race that that goes on in the universal quantum computing space, where we, we have like several big big names that are uh, uh, competing in 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 there, and I know we had a very very uh, interesting uh, discussion uh, about quantum supremacy, uh, about some of the hype that that goes goes around that. So I was uh, interested maybe to to see your your view being. Already involved in uh, practical solutions that are directly tied to the world of, of quantum computing, uh, how do you see this 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 big race? Do, do you agree that this is the next big paradigm in 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 computing, or maybe not? What 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 is your your
3: view on that? Yeah, yeah that's a it's a very good point because I think there's quite some misunderstanding also in and the public. Uh, reception of quantum computing at least to some folks and when I when I talk with people um, I often hear that that basically uh, they they ask you the questions when will quantum computers replace classical computers this yeah. kind of a thing right and so this will never happen right so this is to be very clear I mean quantum computers are a special kind of computing platform and they can solve very crazy problems like you know nonlinear optimization problems. And they can solve them in linear time. You know, non-linear optimization problems solving linear time. This is a special group of, of uh, you know, challenges and problems. And quantum computers are just perfect for that. But it doesn't mean that your classical computer is just not useful anymore in the future. It will still be, and it will be probably also the main front end for your quantum computer, where you have these uh, crazy uh, computational problems that that you want to solve. Um, And maybe at some point, maybe I don't know when this will happen. You know, we might have a quantum computer in our pocket or something like that. Maybe I don't know. But for the foreseeable future, this is not like this. Like quantum computers will not be replaced classical computers. That's not what I'm seeing. Agreed. It's it's really more about we have a new tool or we have new tools rather that can solve specific problems much much better than the classical.
1: it's like a GPU, a GPU didn't replace the CPU, it augmented it.
3: That's a great comparison, exactly, right? Like let's think about another acceleration chip, although the chip is very very big and very very cold, but <laughs> that's the the kind of a thing, right? It's it's another acceleration for specific problems. And just like you say, the analogy with GPUs is very good, right? You know, it, it came up once, you know, uh, graphics were really interesting, becoming 3D and so on, where you had really specific problems to solve. You know, you have huge vector and matrix calculations, and then GPUs were made just perfectly for that because they can run them in parallel and so on and so forth. And exactly. then, well, quantum computers have the a similar kind of a way. Oh, that's also why you can actually take uh, quantum-inspired um, algorithms and running on GPU clusters, right? They are really good at dealing with these large matrices and your know, vector algebra and so on. Um, mm. But in the end, they're still limited and they're still classical computers. And so quantum computers can do that all parallel at the same time, you know, with an entanglement, superposition and all of these basic quantum mechanical principles. Very cool. I had a question for you guys. Have you actually seen entanglement and action already? Because the podcast here is called Entangled Things. Um, There was a, a photographic proof. Have you guys seen that of entanglement?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a uh, amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of and one uh, uh, speaking about entangled things, right? Is uh, I I I would say that the, the the first picture, if if we're at that, right? Uh, the first picture of entanglement, from my point of view, is that uh, historical picture of. Albert Einstein and Niels Bohr yeah. uh that was captured while they were having a discussion about mm. the uh the EPR effect the Einstein Podolsky Rosen effect and the, the 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 details of that and and their faces I mean they tell it all right they they were like even they were like probably uh the the among clearly among the top uh, uh, scientists of 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 all times, most probably, right? They will still like like utterly puzzled by what the math was was showing to 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 them, right? The the entanglement uh, uh, effect. So uh, for me, that will be kind of like always like the first, so to speak, picture of entanglement. Like two of the smartest people that this planet has ever seen, right? Being like. Completely puzzled by how mother nature works, and 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 for me that's that's just like like fabulous. And uh, among other things, uh, uh, to to make a confession to you, Renee, that's one of the reasons why we have decided to to name this uh, this this show "Entangled Things" because out of all the quantum kind of stuff and quantum phenomena and quantum principles uh, uh, and 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 things that are are, are known about it. Uh, both Patrick and I, we we still think that that entanglement is probably kind of uh, at the top of, of of the list. It's it's still the most bizarre. And and the the most difficult, even to believe, right? Great um, uh, phenomenon that 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 happens, uh, and that makes things like even more exciting and interesting, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's the, I mean, there's probably plenty of things we could pick that are crazy and mysterious about this, but but I think entanglement is the one that we still don't understand really anything about, and how even to uh, to use it. To leverage it for other things,
3: yeah. And uh, you know, coming back to you, Einstein called it spooky action at a distance, right? So that's, and he still, until he died, he still was very skeptical about it if it's actually real. I mean, they they did the theory and all of that before he died. But the first experiments where they actually have proven it and have shown it that it's a real phenomena that occurs in nature was uh, way after he died. So that was. Uh, uh, a little interesting, but like I said, you know, there's this crazy uh, photo entanglement proof where they actually used photons and uh, you know separated them, did apply the phase shift to one, and then measured both at the same end uh, at, at two different destinations, and uh, had the same uh, you know phase shifting applied to both photons, although it was just applied to the first one. And mm. that is just ridiculous. And uh, you see it with your own eyes, kind of. Of course, you know, you're not looking into the laser ray, but, um, you know, they're capturing it with uh, some uh, ICCD or whatever. And then, you know, it's it's really interesting that this was actually proven in and, and experiments. And then later on in 2019, the first photo of the quantum entanglement was really one of these moments, I guess, in, in science where, hey, this is actually real. We can see it. Well, at least for for me, like not being a quantum physics researcher, right? I mean, all of them, of course, they, they know all of it and they believe it. But, you know, seeing as believing. Mm-hmm
2: and about about entanglement what what is also very very kind of fascinating to me is like we did quite a lot of experimentation a- around uh, using uh, photons for for entanglement right which is seems to be the most affordable at, 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 at this at this point right? But the math also tells us that entanglement will will work with with other uh, uh, quantum uh, uh, behaved particles. Like entanglement should should work in 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 the case of of electrons, in the case of other fundamental particles, and so on. So what I'm constantly looking after is to to start see like working experiments that go beyond using the photon as. The particle to prove the the entanglement, and obviously those are much much more difficult to 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 achieve, right? But it's 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 still like amazing. Um, for me the speed at which these experiments are being developed in in the past few years like it seems that that every week or every month we get some news out from some physics laboratory around the world that they did this they did that they did this kind of entanglement that yep. kind of entanglement they increased the the distance at which they proved uh, uh, entanglement cuz is as, as far as i know we've already broken the barrier of 1000 kilometers uh in in the case of entangled photons clearly right uh um to 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 prove that so this is just absolutely fascinating to me how how this particular uh experimental field uh in in quantum is 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 moving ahead and obviously is the one that also has and, and, and Patrick can comment on that, has a lot of also kind of uh, promise in the world of secure communications mm-hmm. and uh, uh, cryptography and, and 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 things like well, that. It's, it's just fabulous.
1: Computing, classical computing, is always dependent on physical science to get uh, transistor sizes down and things like that. But quantum is such an order of magnitude more dependent on physical science. Uh, the super colliders that are, that are built around the world and the experiments that are being done that are multi-year experiments at CERN and uh, Fermilab and other places are really going to push the limits. I, I would, I mean, it, it's too early to make a prediction, but 40 years from now, we're going to be talking about quarks and, and and neutrinos as the basis for quantum computing instead of, instead of um, photons and things that we're more familiar with. Because we'll have more of an understanding of those things. Who knows? It just depends on on where the hard sciences go. And so, one of the things that I think is going to be a consequence of quantum computing revolutionizing things is that it's going to make hard sciences even more important. And for a little while, it looked like they were starting to get ignored. And so, I think you'll see governments expending a lot more revenue on physics and uh, and and fundamental science than they did in the past because. It's going to be necessary not just to, um, to 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 one company or two companies, but to an entire industry that they depend on.
3: Yeah, yeah, it is extremely actually. Uh, like you said, depending on on real s- hardcore science, if you will, in the end. And uh, like you're saying, there is a lot of funding actually also happening from the governments, like here in Europe, the EU, and um, you know I'm in Germany, uh, are actually having some quite some large funds, which are uncommon at at this scale for quantum computing and, you know, building the first quantum computer, they, uh, the German government, I think they released, I, I forgot the number, but it was a huge amount. They want to build the the first quantum computer here with a research institute in, in Jülich, uh, supercomputing. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I th- they finally understood that this is real. This is happening as well. And so there's a big push and there's also quite some funding happening around it. And also, like like you already hinted at with the, the quantum security and especially with quantum key distribution, right? Where we mm. can already keep this kind of super, um, this so, you know, also the superposition state and so on over a longer distance. And so they can uh, transmit these uh, securely, the keys and so on um, over longer distances. And I, what I also saw is these um, quantum computing uh, backbone being deployed here in Europe. They have it in certain countries where they have basically... As, you know, of course, a special fiber network and so on, where they can uh, do the quantum key distribution between Southern Research Institute. And the goal is, what I recently saw, is they want to expand it to the whole Europe. Uh, in the US, in fact, the NASA is is using a different approach. Uh, they want to do that with satellites, right? And that mm. is actually a pretty, pretty clever way, if you think about it, because, you know, yeah. it's photons in the end. So you can shoot it, or like, not shoot it, but you can transmit it, of course, uh, through um, uh, satellites.
1: Yeah, I think China is actually already done some quantum communication to satellites. Uh, they're really pushing on the communication side, that if you talk to anybody who's watching the military um, development, uh, China seems to be focusing more than anything else on communications. Uh, whereas we don't really know what the U.S. military is doing. They've kept their their cards closer to the chest.
3: Uh, of course, right, right. Well, but, you know, this old satellite kind of quantum key distribution is, is definitely something that, that would be required for global scale in the end, right? And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that that might be happening. Um, Korea also, right, telecom, Korea Telecom uh, is also working on that. And it's all over the world, you know, basically leveraging the principles of quantum mechanics for security and and secure key distribution is very important in the end, right? Especially when we're looking at all these attacks and things that are happening constantly. Uh,
1: this is very important that uh, especially yeah, certain channels it, are
3: super secure, right?
1: It it gets more press than most things. I I, I mean I'm a security guy. I definitely think that the, the the ramifications of quantum on security are are incredibly huge. But I personally think that material science is where it's going to change the lives of billions of people. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so we're starting to run out of time. It it's been fantastic to talk to you, Renee. And, um, you know, we we'll definitely have, have to have you back on again. Um, you know, we, we encourage our listeners to definitely listen to your podcast. There's, there's more than enough room for plenty of voices in this, in this arena. We need more people talking about this stuff. Um, and uh, we appreciate you being a pioneer.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And like you said, we could continue for hours, but and, hey, and we will. Time is limited. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been an absolute
2: pleasure, Renee, as 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 well in the. We, we, we really valued your, your insights and, and I think above all, your already practical experience in, in, in the field, which is, which is absolutely uh, amazing. So thank you very, very much for being on the show. Thank you.